and the Asherahs uh, from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And I will deliver you from the hand of the Philistine. Asherah uh, was a female goddess, a goddess of sexual love and fertility. But again, here's the problem of the children of Israel. They had no business even dabbling uh, in any kind of idol worship. Remember when they were getting the laws? And Moses was uh, up receiving the laws from the Lord. He was gone for 40 days, 50 days, I think it was. And when he finally comes down, he tells Joshua says, there's merry men down at the camp because Joshua was waiting at the base. He goes, that's not the sound of merriment of partying, but of sexualities. And remember that Aaron was asked to, to create a, a calf that they learned to worship in Egypt. Aaron was of the priesthood. He knew better than that. And so now there has to be a time of repentance. There has to be a time of getting back to the Lord. Now, it's not finished yet concerning the idol worship. Look at verse 4. And so the children of Israel put away the Baals, plural, and the Asherahs, plural, and served the Lord only. Notice that the gods were plural of the Baals. Uh, some of my commentary says this was the male version of Asherah at this time. Sexuality, fertility, and not there was not just one god. It was a variation of them. They created more than one. And so if you're busy over here worshiping, well, let's just go over here. Or maybe they had them even in their homes. But this was an abomination to God. They should have not been doing it. They knew better. God had spoken to this many, many times. And then they wonder why they lost the battle. Notice verse 5. And Samuel said, gather all Israel uh, to Mizpah. And I will pray uh, to the Lord for you. And so Samuel here knows that there's going to be a, a battle against the Philistines again. The Israelites are, are weary. They don't want to lose again. They've lost a lot of men already. But notice that Samuel takes a position. And I want you to see that position. When we go to battle, and I'm talking about uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says, we fight not against flesh and blood but against principalities and rulers of darkness of this world. There's a spiritual battle going on. I'm not talking about a physical battle. And yet, the, the children of Israel were involved in physical battles against the Philistines. But it begins with spiritual warfare. And so Samuel knows that he has to go to the Lord. And if Israel is going to be anything of a victor, they need to come to the Lord. And they need to pray. They need to seek God's face. I want to ask the question, because I ask it of myself. How many times we just step out? And I sense that the Lord is saying, Bob, I want you to do this. And I just step out. And you sense that the Lord is saying to you, and you just step out. Do we take time to pray first? Or do we just step out? And then when the failure comes, we say, Lord, what happened? The, the Lord will put thoughts in our hearts, in our minds. But let's take it to the Lord in prayer. And this is what Samuel is doing here. And in the case of the Israelites, they're in sin. They need to get right with God. Notice now, 
in verse 6, so they gathered together at Mizpah, they drew water, very important here, and they poured it out before the Lord, and they fasted that day, and they said, they said there, we have sinned against the Lord. I have to say that that had to have been music to the ears of God. Finally, you guys are getting it. We have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the children uh, of Israel there at Mizpah. But I want you to see the, uh, they, they partook of fasting, rightfully so. They fasted that day, but the pouring out of the water before the Lord. When, when you look at typologies, the water generally speaks about the word, and then the water can also speak about the Holy Spirit. We see in different passages. But water is also a cleansing rite. Water is also a washing rite. And so get your life right. It's time to wash. It's time to bathe. It's time to confess your sin. It's time uh, that there be a cleansing and a washing, an emptying of ourselves. Don't just come to the battle. Take some time to pray. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul exhorts in the area of, of to the Corinthians concerning the communion table. And that exhortation is, hey, some of you are sick. In fact, some of you are dying. You see, they were coming to the communion table because they would incorporate the agape feast. And so the foods came and the wines came. And when the communion service comes, a lot of them were intoxicated. Imagine coming and breaking bread, a, a solemn service, partaking of the bread, the representation of the body of Christ, partaking of the wine, the representation of, of the blood of Christ, and to come intoxicated. And so he says in the Corinthian letter in chapter 11, examine yourself, examine yourself, take Self-examination, Lord, if there's anything in me, forgive me, Lord. Lord, empty me of myself. And, and let's face it, the children of Israel needed to be cleansed and washed and emptied of their uh, idol worship. Notice verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, uh, they were afraid. Of the Philistines. Fear because previously uh, they had been defeated. You see, the enemies of Israel many times would inquire. Uh, they would ask their priests and such, and they would ask their spies, go check. Find out if God is with them. Because they knew they had no chance if God was with them. And so here's the children of Israel. We've been in sin. And now you want us to go to battle again with uh, the Philistines? They're going to kill us again. We're going to be destroyed. And so Samuel has to win over their confidence. Samuel has to uh, win over their true repentance. And I believe that Samuel took his time with them. Because uh, not everybody wanted to go to battle. In verse 8, so the children of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord uh, our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So they've gotten rid of their idols. 
their idols and their worship of the idols. True repentance has come in. I believe they're sincere. But they want to make sure. Samuel, pray for us. Samuel, go to the Lord for us. Samuel, inquire of the Lord. Samuel, we're afraid. We'll be honest with you. We're afraid. And they should be. Because sin has been in the camp. And so we have to get right with God. How do we expect God to bless us if our hearts are not right with God? How, how do we expect God to bless us if we have not confessed sin that's still lurking, sin that's still in the background, a sin that, you know, we, we look at it, well, it's not that bad. Sin is sin in the eyes of God. And so the children of Israel knew it. I, I love verse 8. Do not cease to cry out uh, to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. They feared the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering uh, to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord uh, for Israel. And the Lord answered him. Oh, I love that. Samuel knew exactly what to do. And he did it. The key here is that Samuel's heart was right with God. Samuel was prayed up. When you go, let's say you're asked by a loved one, family member, please come and pray. Uh, and I know you're a believer. I know you go to church. Uh, would you and, and your wife, please come on over and pray for us. Uh, you better be right with God. Don't just go over there because you're a Christian. You need to be right with God. And you and your wife need to take some time and pray, confess your sin, whatever it might. I want to be a cleansed vessel. I don't want to just jump in. And if it's spiritual warfare, I don't want to touch it till I'm a cleansed vessel. I don't want to touch it until I've been emptied of Bob and filled with the Spirit. Because let's face it, here we are at church and praise God, we've done our worship, our praise, our time of prayer. We're studying the word. But when we leave here, we, we step right back into the world. And some of you were at work today and I don't have to ask you, but I can imagine the things that took place. I can imagine the, the words you heard. I can imagine maybe the words you used. And so we have to be cleansed vessels. And especially if I'm going to go represent God. I want them to see Christ in me. I hope and pray you want them uh, to see Christ in you. And so they respected Samuel. And rightfully so. And Samuel knew exactly what to do. Uh, he brought an offering. And he cried out to the Lord. And when he cried out to the Lord, the Lord answered him. Well, Samuel would not say, okay, let's go to battle, guys. Samuel waited upon the Lord. In verse 10, now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines, listen, uh, they drew near to the battle against Israel, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon uh, the Philistines that day. And so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. They thought, let's take advantage. Uh, let's hit them before they're finished. They're doing their sacrifices. Uh, let's take advantage. But God saw their heart. God saw their heart. The armies weren't even out there yet. And yet the thunder came. And we've all been in a thunderstorm. 
Remember when we were kids, I don't know if you guys did it, but uh, we would see the lightning and then we would start to count. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. You get to 1,006 and you hear boom. You go, oh, that's cool. And, and then you're counting and it's moving in. And I don't know if you've ever done this and we go, oh, lightning, 1,001, boom. And everybody's just shaking in their boots because the thunder is upon you. And I don't care who you are. Thunder moves on you when it's on top of you. Thunder moves on you and it shakes you up. And if you know somebody that lightning follows them, you get out of his way. You go outside. There is a guy that he's been hit seven times. I read about this guy. He's alive. Even driving his truck, he had the windows rolled down. Lightning went right through the cab. I mean, this guy, his family, as soon as there's a, a, just a, a little cloud, let's get away from Joe, man. Uncle Joe's going to blow up here. I don't know what he has, but whatever it is, it attracts. But thunder got a hold of the Philistines, and it brought fear in their hearts. The effect of God. How did the effect of God come? In the sound of thunder. In the sound of thunder. Notice now, in verse 11, and the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued. They're ready. They're ready. They pursued the Philistines and they drove them back as far as below a Beth car. And so they were energized. They were ready. That sound of the thunder was not for them. It was for the Philistines and they knew it. And so now they're ready for the battle array. In verse 12, then Samuel uh, took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. This is a stone of memorial. And maybe, I don't know if you're one that collects memorabilia wherever you might be. Uh, I still have a small little uh, stone. Don't tell nobody I wasn't supposed to take it. Uh, it was part of the Western Wall in Israel. And, you know, where they pushed in all the prayer requests. There's a lot of loose gravel there, some of the stones. And I took it. And I said, Lord, you know, it's an Ebenezer stone for me, Lord. It's a memorial stone. And so when we went with 40 pastors one time, there was this guy, and when he opened up his uh, backpack, he had all these little plastic baggies. And I go, man, this guy ate a lot of sandwiches on the airplane, man. Well, his wife loaded them up for him and a black marker. And everywhere he went, he got a piece, he got a handful of soil and he put it in there and he marked it. He marked it. I go, they're going to get you at customs, man. You're stealing Israel. <laughs> he had to have a couple of pounds of dirt in that suitcase, man. But he wanted to take them home and you know, my mom, bless her heart, she wanted a bottle of water uh, from the Jordan. And I, I did bring it home, and I gave it to her. The customs didn't say anything. And I says, Mom, please do not drink this. And do not go around and put it on people's foreheads. And, uh, you know, because people think that it's holy. It's filthy, dirty. I remember there's catfish in there. 
and just you know don't go there, man. But this beautiful Ebenezer stone, uh, the Ebenezer stone, was a reminder, a memorial, a reminder. I want to give you a verse. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We're going to go through our trials. We're going to go through our pitfalls. We're going to go through our times of darkness. But God began a good work in you and he's going to finish it. He's going to finish it. I want you to listen to the word being confident. The word confident is my assurance. Being confident. I'm assured of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in me. He who has begun a good work in you. Will complete it. Will bring bring it to conclusion. In the day of Christ. Our, Our place is to just keep going. And so the children of Israel were the apple of God's eye, and God wasn't finished with them. Oh, there was times he had to chasten them, but doesn't the scripture says that God chastens those that he loves? Look at verse 13 now. And so the Philistines were subdued at that time now. The word is humbled, and they did not come anymore in the territory of Israel, and the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. If you remember last week, they lost quite a few men. They lost quite a few battles. In fact, up to this point, they had not defeated the Philistines. But at this time now, they are more than conquerors. God has given them uh, the victory. Notice that he says, And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And so they give God the victory. God is the one that gave the victory. Yes, uh, the, the Israelites went against the Philistines, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Why were they victorious? Because they truly repented. They confessed and they got right with God. I want you to mark this down. If you don't know it, you need to memorize it. In 1 John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. All the wrong living that I get involved with. Uh, When I come to Christ, He takes away unrighteousness and He gives me righteousness. Now I'm right living for, for God. I'm right living with God. And so when I confess my sins, He cleanses us, He washes us, from the wrong living for God, the things that we do. They were worshiping idols. They had multiple of idols. And so God was cleansing them. This is why the victory came. Then the cities which the Philistines, verse 14, had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. Were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath. And Israel recovered its territory from the hands of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel, and listen to this, and the Amorites. The Amorites. The best way to describe the Amorites, they were all part of of the land of Canaan here. Uh, 
the Amorites were up in the, the higher elevation, if you may, kind of the mountainous ranges, and uh, the Philistines uh, were down in the Canaan land. And remember, they had the five cities that we spoke of uh, last week. So under uh, Samuel's government, if you may, or under uh, Samuel's rulership, there was victory. Why? Because Samuel obeyed God. And here's the Philistines in this valley of Canaan, the land of Canaan, and they had Ashkelon, Ashdod, Akron, or Ekron, Gath, and Gaza. These were the lower dwellers. These were the five allies of the cities with the Philistines. God put them in check. God put them in check. All because the nation of Israel was in obedience. Look at the next verse concerning obedience. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. What was Samuel all about? Samuel was all about pleasing God. So then Samuel was all about obeying God. You want God to bless you? We've shared this many times in the Old Testament and New Testament. You want God to bless you? We raise our hands. Lord, bless me. Uh, you need to be obedient. You need to do what it says in the Word of God. And God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. I, I know many of your testimonies, and I see, because you walk with God, He blesses you. It doesn't mean you don't go through trials. You're going to go through the trials. But if you're... Being blessed by God. He's going to take care of you. And again, he's not going to give you any more than you can handle. And we'll all respond, Lord, I'm, I'm taking too much on now, Lord. I don't, I don't like these trials. Doesn't James say that trials are building patience in my life? If you look at the word patience, it translates out to character. God's building your character. And I have found that the trials I go through, eventually one day I'm going to be able to share with somebody because they're going to come along and they're going to say, you know, I just lost my mom. I just lost my dad. I say, you know what? I've been there. I know what you're going through. I can speak from experience. And if I haven't gone through the particular trial that they were going through, then I find somebody in the body of Christ that I know has gone through it. And you're able to identify with them. And then they look at you and say, well, if you're going through it, and I'm going through it, you know what I'm going through. And so they respect. And so Samuel was a man of obedience. Look at verse 16. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and there he judged Israel in all those places. Samuel would go and you know, consul. Samuel would go and make rulings. Samuel would go and, and do the work that a judge was supposed to do. I like this, that he went in the circuit. The word circuit is revolved. And so he went around. And he was not a youngster. He did the circuit to those places. And he was a judge to them. He was a consular to them. Listen to this. Wasn't he called to be a prophet of God? Now I want you to think at this point. Now we can understand. Why Hannah had such a hard time. Getting pregnant first of all. Because God wanted that man child. 
that man-child was going to be for the Lord. And until Hannah finally saw it. I mean, Eli the priest didn't see it. He, he thought she was drunk, remember? And finally, when she was able to relinquish that child, and then God said, okay, you're going to be pregnant now. And remember the, the other wife, Penana? She was constantly badgering her. Beautiful. Uh, when we have our children, they're alone to us from God. We give them back to the Lord. Lord, you do with what you need to do with them. Use them for your glory, for your kingdom. Be careful. Because we have a tendency to hoard. Lord, this is my son. Lord, this is my daughter. Lord, she's going to work in our business. Lord, he's going to work for our company. Lord, and what does God want? You're a Christian. Your wife's a Christian. You need to pray. Lord, what do you want? What is it that you want of my son? What is it that you want of my daughter? You know, I never forgot Pastor Rawls' wife, Sharon, when she shared about how she used to pray, Lord, bring Rawls to church. Bring Rawls to church. Lord, save Rawls. And then when God did, Rawls got in the ministry almost instantly. And she was angry. I knew it. I knew it. I knew if you saved him, you were going to put him in the ministry. I knew. You see, Sharon came from a family of missionaries. She came from church-bearing parents, grandparents, uh, great-grandparents. And so when she prayed, and then she shared later, do you pray? Lord, save the husband. Lord, save the wife. Because I'm tired of going to church by myself. That was Sharon's prayer. She was tired of sitting in the pews or in the chairs. And her husband was not with her. And then when she Raw got saved, he still wasn't with her. Because <laughs> he went out and started ministry right away. Listen to the voice of the Lord. That's how God finally got a hold of Hannah. Notice now, verse 17, the conclusion. But he always returned to Ramah. He would do the circuit, and Ramah was his home base. He returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged, he ruled Israel. And there he built an altar unto the Lord. I, I like that it adds that he built an altar unto the Lord. Uh, he didn't just rule. He didn't just judge. He didn't just make constantly decisions. He didn't just prophesy. But Samuel was about worshiping the Lord. Samuel was about worshiping the Lord. Worship is important uh, to God. He wants to hear your worship. He wants to see your worship. He doesn't want you to be texting. He doesn't want you to do your checkbooks. He doesn't want you to clip your nails. These are the things I've seen in the times. I've seen them all. I tell you. I tell you. The wife will go to the husband. The husband went, did you turn off the roast? They're worshiping, man. God's going to roast you. <laughs> he won't roast you. <laughs> First Samuel chapter 8. This is probably one of the saddest chapters in the Old Testament. Israel demands, not ask. They demand a king. You're going to see the pain. In Samuel's heart. 
but I want you to see the pain in somebody else's heart. God's heart. God's heart. You see, God was their king. God was their king. And they're going to say it. We want a king like the other nations. Wait a minute. You guys aren't like the other nations. You're the apple of my eye. You're Israel. You're mine. We want a, a king like the other nations. Radical chapter. And so we begin here in 1 Samuel 8. Look at verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. Now stay with me. And remember what happened to Hophni and Phinehas. So the years have passed. Samuel has been very, very faithful. But it's his time to go home to be with the Lord. In verse 2, the name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second, Abijah. And they were judges in Beersheba there. But notice what happens. But his sons did not walk in his, in his way. His sons did not walk in his ways in the ways of Samuel. They turned aside after dishonest gain. And the word in the New Testament is covetousness. The word in the New Testament is filthy lucre. They took bribes. It perverted justice. You know, it's amazing. Samuel worshipped the Lord. Samuel served the Lord. But sin never fails. Sin is always lurking. Sin does not sleep. That's why we must be on guard at all times. If you don't fail, your husband could fail, your wife could fail, your children could fail, your grandchildren could fail. Remember Joel Rosenberg when he taught out of Ezekiel chapter 33? The watchman. We're always to be on watch. And now that all the girls have moved out, we have two of the girls married, we have the grandchildren, and that's what we pray for. Because the world they're living in, our grandchildren, that is, it's evil. We need to pray. We need to pray. I want you to turn to a passage. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. Peter exhorts, that we're to submit to God and we're to resist the devil. The devil is out there and he's trying to search and destroy. He hates you with a passion. He wants to stumble you. He wants to trip you up. He wants to place snares before you, traps. He wants to get a hold of your heart. Don't go to church today. It's a beautiful day outside. Uh, look at it's just it's it's already turning eighty degrees. Man, get in the car, throw a couple of dollars, and go up to Elephant Butte. Man, throw a couple of more dollars and go all the way to Rio Doso. Come on, you know that little shop that sells the pastries. Come on, you can catch Pastor Bob later. Hmm, some of you. First huh? Peter chapter five, verse five through eleven. Peter exhorts. Likewise, you younger uh, people, submit yourself. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, okay? And so he says, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be in submission to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, 
but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That's taken from Proverbs 3, verse 34. Uh, the proverb says, surely he scorns the scornful, but he gives grace to the humble. The word to scorn is the word scoff. In verse 6, going back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, uh, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, uh, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him. Resist him. Next to that, if you like to write in your Bible, put Genesis chapter 39. Uh, Joseph resisted. And he left his garment in Potiphar's wife's hand. And the Bible says he ran naked. I'm sure he had his, uh, you know, his underwear on. But they would say that he was naked because that's a, a, the wording that was given in those days. But Joseph resisted the devil. And steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. How many times we think, Lord, I'm going through the same trial. Lord, it's not fair. How come it's the same thing? Lord, I'm the only one. No, you're not the only one. There's others just like you. There's others that, that are going through trials greater. There's others that are uh, tried almost every day. And here you get one once a week maybe. But trials are... Nothing to, to boast about. We, we don't like them. But here's the beautiful uh, concept in Scripture. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by your brotherhood uh, in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter wrote about the trials. Because Peter understood the trials. And the Holy Spirit prompted him. Write about the trials. Man. And so in the scriptures we see it constantly. James writes quite a bit concerning the trials. Let's go back to our text now. Look at verse 4. And then the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. Remember, that's his home. But they come to complain. Watch this. And they said to him in verse 5, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us, just like all the other nations. I tell you, I've read this. Some of you have read this. And I'm sorry, I still can't get used to it. What a slap in the face. Lord, give us a king. Yeah, they were telling the truth. Samuel's sons were evil. They were taking bribes. They were all into covetousness. It was all about money for them. But make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. You're not like the other nations. You're a Christian. You're a believer. You're not like your neighbor next door that has everything. And, and you sit there and going, why? Let him have it. Let him have it. 
You do what God's called you to do. You do what God's called you to do. Now, I put this in my notes. They had good points, but they were wrong. They had good points, but they had, they were wrong because God was their king. God was their king. Did you so quickly forget? Who just gave you the victory? You know, over the Philistines. Who quieted down those other five cities? Who held back the Amorites? They're overlooking you uh, from the bluff. God did. How quick we forget. The same thing with us. God blesses me. God blesses you. And then next week you're angry because you're going through this. Did you forget that God blessed you? Did you forget? But, but Lord, this is now. We like to argue, don't we? Look at verse 6. But the thing displeased Samuel. When they said, give us a, a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Another evidence of Samuel being a man of God. What a perfect time to, to lash out to them. You guys are just like the uncircumcised Philistines. He didn't say that. You white-walled sepulchers. He didn't say that. These, these are the thoughts that I have. Samuel went to pray. Samuel went to pray. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, Samuel. Would you underline that, please? Because I still get frustrated when people reject me. For they did not reject you, Samuel, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Especially when you're young in the Lord. And especially when you're out there witnessing. And trust me, I did it for years. I used to go into the parks. I used to go into the rodeos and, you know, want to share Christ. Nine out of ten times it was great. And people were open. But then there's always that one time, guys had a little bit too many beers and it gets in your face and start asking you all the, the Catholic questions and you got to be careful. You don't want to hurt people. Uh, I'm not against Catholicism. I would tell them, I'd say, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I'm here to tell you about Jesus. I said, Jesus changed my life. I was an alcoholic. Oh, that, you're, you're saying I'm an alcoholic? Don't tell that to an alcoholic. They don't like it. I was young and dumb, right? But they did not reject you, Bob. They did not reject you, Samuel. They rejected me. Uh, but we're human. I don't like rejection. You don't like rejection. Listen to this. I don't like rejection in Christianity because... I'm not boasting, but I know I'm right. You know you're right because it's in here. And that's what I'm trying to give them, the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God. You know, I keep, Mary and I will listen to the radio program from time to time, and we see the things changing in our country, and I says, man, one of these days, somebody's not going to like what I say on the radio. And I says, well, that day could come. And when they come to the door, are you Pastor Bob? I go, no, and I'll give them Jay's address. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. 
listen, verse 7 again. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. God said to Samuel, they've rejected me, not you, Samuel. When we are rejected, as I shared, maybe it's my loved one. Maybe it's family members. Maybe it's the neighbor that you've gotten along very well for years. Maybe it's somebody at school. You know, somebody at work. Whatever it might be. I feel the sense of rejection against me. And it's not you. Listen. It's God that they have rejected. It's God. Our place is to pray for them. Our place is to pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. In verse 9, Now therefore heed the voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king uh, who will reign over them. I, I love this here. Take heed to what they're saying. Give them what they want. But warn them. Warn them. Warn them. Warn them. Uh, listen. This is why when people ask me questions. And I'll say you want the biblical truth. God gives us warning. What's the warning man? Tell me the warning. I says you have a Bible. Yes. Go read the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation gives you insight. I don't understand the book. Go read and read what you do understand. And then go to Matthew chapter 24. The warnings are there. The warnings are there. Don't try to win the argument. Don't try to argue with them. Tell them what to read. My friend Steve never argued with me. He just would tell me, did you read this? Did you read that? And the, the word of God, what? Cuts. Let the word of God cut. Let the word of God. So Samuel was told by God, go and warn them. And so Samuel told all the words of the Lord. Uh, to the people who asked for a king. Samuel's ready now. He's going to unload on them God's warning, not his. And he said in verse 11, uh, this will be the behavior of the king uh, who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to his own horsemen. And some will run uh, before his chariots. And so your sons will be in the military. They're going to operate uh, the chariots. And they're going to be the runners before the chariots. They're going to be the horsemen. Uh, in verse 12, he will appoint captains over the his thousands and captains over the, the fifties. Uh, will set uh, some to, to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipments for his chariots. So uh, not only military, but they're going to run the farms uh, for the king. Because he's going to have a lot of people. Uh, you're going to have to serve the king. You're going to fight for the king. And you're going to have to comply to the desires of the king. Samuel is warning them. This is harsh. Nobody's listening. They want a king like the other nations. In verse 13, uh, he will take your daughters. Now he goes to the, the ladies uh, for perfume, perfumers, cooks, bakers. So not only your sons, but now your daughters. And they're going to be his, the king's. And he will take the best 
of your fields, verse 14, uh, your vineyards, your oil grows and give them uh, to his servants. Uh, taxes are going to be laid. And they're going to be heavy. And he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it uh, to his officers and his servants. And they're not listening. They're not listening. I mean, military, farming, perfumers, bakers, cooks, whatever. And now the crops. And now the oils that were very precious. And the vineyards that were very precious. In verse 16, and he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, your donkeys, and put them to his work. And Saul is going to do exactly that as we continue. Like it or not, your daughters and your sons are going to belong to him, the king that you're crying for. In verse 17, he will take a tent of your sheep and you will be his servants. Gonna take your children, gonna take your crops, gonna take your livestock, gonna take your vineyards, your oil fields, you know, olive oils, and they still, they were okay with it. In eight, verse 18, and you will cry out in that day because of your king, uh, whom you have chosen for yourself, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. He's warning them, he's warning them, he's warning them. And again, here we go, uh, Revelation chapter 20, or, Matthew chapter 24, it's all about the the warnings. They said, Jesus, show us a sign. So he begins to tell them. And then when you get to the book of Revelation, as soon as you get to chapter 6, and then you take it all the way to chapter 18, here comes the judgments. The warnings are there. I I believe after the rapture of the church takes place, the seven years of tribulation begin, people are going to invade the churches, and and they're going to, look, it's here. Look, it's here. Hey, there's a bunch of CDs back here. Let's listen to them. There's a whole series on Revelation. Let's listen to them. Listen, you can't serve God now. What makes you think you're going to serve God in the seven years of tribulation? I'll never take the mark of the beast. I hope and pray. But it's not going to be easy. You better get some track shoes on because you're going to do a lot of running. You're going to do a lot of running. Look at verse 18. And you will cry out in that day. You're going to cry out, but... God's going to turn you over to him. Nevertheless, verse 19, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. We want a king. We want it now. That we also may be like the other nations. I don't understand that. And that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Wasn't going to work, church. And Samuel heard all the words of the people and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. Samuel was hurt. Remember that. But what about God? What about God? Conclusion. And so the Lord, the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his own city. In other words, go home and wait. And that's what we're going to start to read. We know that Saul comes into the picture. We don't have time, but I want you to write this down. You know the passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. Uh, it's, it's, Paul speaks about being unequally yoked. Being unequally yoked with a non-believer. I want to apply it to wanting a king when God was your king. 
You're going to be unequally yoked. We want a king. They just kept saying it over and over and over. Okay, you're going to get one. And God said to Samuel, and when they cry out to you, I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to listen. Pharaoh did not listen to the voice of Moses until the tenth plague came. Remember what God did? Pharaoh hardened his heart and God firmed it. You want a hard heart? I'm going to firm it. I'll make it harder. And it wasn't until the last plague. Let's stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you. We praise you. Uh, we worship you and thank you, Lord, for the message, uh, the message of hope as we see uh, in the Old Testament. And Lord, anybody listening to the teaching here tonight and some of the areas that we hit and they need to be repented, they need to turn from their wicked ways, whatever it might be. It's not about me and it's not about Calvary Chapel, but it's about your sin against God. And so I pray and, and hope and pray that you would take care of these things because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.